you uh, to honor God's word as we read it. I want to second what Brother Adam said. Uh, we, we are glad that you're here and thankful that we can assemble together. And we will be renting Brother Fiavai out for roof decorations. Luke, man, I love Brother Vi. He's a blessing. And what's, what's great is that suit is consistent with his spirit and his joyful spirit. And I love it and I'm thankful for it. All right, Luke chapter 9. For our guests, we, we're working through the book of Luke on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Judges. On Wednesday night, doing some work out of Nehemiah. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna change um, what we're preaching on this month. The, the two the two services that will adjust it will be the 17th and the 24th of December. So the evening of the 17th is our candlelight service. So I want to invite you back. It's a special service, and then that that is a heavy gospel emphasis on that night. And so invite guests and people and, and just be a part of that. Be prayerful about that. The 24th, we're going to approach the same way that we did last year when Christmas was on a, on a Sunday. Going to do things a little different. It's going to be a little bit of a cozier service. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you can wear your pajamas to church. <laughs> so not, an, not, not, it's not what we're doing. Like, oh man, pastor said it was cozy and I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my adult sleeper. Please, please don't. <laughs> Stone. And anyway, but we're looking forward to it. So Luke chapter 9, verse number, verse number 49. It, can I remind you of one thing? If you go, if you go back to verse 1, I'm sorry. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then you're going to go back to chapter, to verse 49. You remember a couple of messages ago, we dealt with, there was a young man who was possessed by a demon and his disciples could not cast the demon out. And then immediately after that, the disciples who could not cast the demon out, that they were given authority and power to cast out, these same disciples begin arguing about who's greater. That's what we talked about last week. And so Jesus brings this little child and says, no, I measure greatness in a different way. In the kingdom of God, then you measure greatness. Then we come to verse 49. And John answered and said, this is, th these events are happening one after the other. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for, the, for he that is not against us is for us. The, the title is simply this, they aren't the enemy. They aren't the enemy. You may be seated. Thanks for standing. This time Ms. Bev's going to sing us a great song. I don't remember the name of it. I had a chance to read through the lyrics just lifts up Jesus, how amazing he is. So let's let her minister to us. Unto us a son is given, unto us a son. 
Blessing, Miss Bev. Praise the Lord for it. I do not get tired of hearing her sing. It's a blessing. I know she sings for the Lord. That's that's wonderful. I hope you I hope you think about these songs when they're being sung and the lyrics of them. There's a line in the that first the first verse that says, "But the Son of God before creation, now the Son of Man." And just Jesus didn't come into existence. He's always been. He's God. And man, it's, it's great truth. And just wonderful. So thankful that he came to us. There was a sandstorm that was blowing fiercely across the Iraqi desert and it was hard to even see or stand upright. 60 mile an hour winds were blasting the cockpit of an Apache window with grit. The two-man crew spun up the chopper's turbine engines and at 10 minutes past midnight prepared to lift off up front in the gunner's seat with the best view of the battlefield and his pilot behind him was a man named Ralph Hayes, a battalion commander with 17 years of flight experience. But on this night, he had misgivings about this mission. It was February 1991, days before the start of the ground phase of Operation Desert Storm. Somewhere in the turbulent darkness, U.S. Army scouts had spotted what they believed were Iraqi tanks. The scouts were the leading edge of a massive American military presence poised against the Iraqi army occupying Kuwait. The U.S. forces were armed with the newest Abram tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles with advanced thermal imaging and laser rangefinders but their crews lacked experience maneuvering in the featureless desert 
and their powerful guns could shoot beyond the range of their high-tech targeting systems. Gunners and helicopter pilots peering into tiny scopes were mistaking friendly forces for the enemy. Again, Hayes had argued against this combat mission because of the weather and a heightened risk of friendly fire. But he'd been overruled on this night. Inside the buckling helicopter, Hayes was peering at a computer screen barely larger than a credit card. It displayed the view picked up by his infrared radar, a tiny piece of the battlefield that Hayes later compared to looking through a soda straw. The screen also displayed several lines of numbers used to describe the map grid coordinates of targets that had been identified, and one set of digits had been relayed to Hayes as the location of hostile forces before he took off that night. Staring in what he thought was that direction, Hayes saw two fuzzy rectangular images on the screen well north of a defensive line of U.S. Army vehicles. Those two must be the ones, he reasoned, the vehicles he'd been directed to destroy. Unbeknownst to Hayes, however, his helicopter had turned and drifted in the wrong direction because of the massive force of the winds blowing across the desert. He was not looking north, but northeast. The indistinct rectangles on Hayes' screen were located more than two miles away from the coordinates he'd actually been given. Just moments later, two missiles leapt off the rails of that Apache, and seconds later, Corporal Jeffrey Middleton and Private Robert Talley, crew members on a Bradley fighting vehicle, were killed, while six other Americans and a nearby armored personnel carrier were injured. This is a story of the awful combat curse of friendly fire and the astonishing number at which soldiers are killed by friendly fire. There were others, 25 were wounded when two clustered of armored American vehicles began shooting at each other. The mistaken killing of combat allies has affected military forces for as long as humans have been fighting wars. In the 413 BC Battle of Epipoli, during the Peloponnesian War, the Athenian army launched a nighttime assault on the Syracusan forces, relying on code words to identify one another in the dark, but it didn't work because Syracusan troops overheard the password and began shouting it themselves, and mayhem ensued with scores of Athenian soldiers killing one another. The tragedy of all of this is that so many times allies are confused as the enemy, and unnecessary damage occurs. And what happens in the military, and has as long as we've been fighting wars, it happens among believers, and that's this, we treat someone as though they are the enemy, when in truth they're not. Here in our text, things have not been going well for the disciples. From a ministry perspective, from a training perspective, from a following Jesus perspective, they are dropping the ball. Now look, we all go through seasons like this. The point isn't to just kick the disciples, but we need to learn from their experiences. And this interaction in chapter 9 has some really confrontational but extremely valuable lessons if we'll allow them to be a help to us. 
fresh off of failing to help heal the boy that Jesus had enabled them to heal, they just had been in an argument over who was greater, literally this way, P of I, I'm going to be greater in the kingdom of God. Or Brother Don piping in, no, I'm going to be greater than Brother Ken. Or whoever's name you want to throw in. It was an argument over who mattered more to Jesus and who was more valuable in the kingdom of God. And honestly, before Christ, that kind of conversation has no place among children of God. It's not about who is greater. It's about loving and following the one who is greatest with humility and concern for each other. Now, immediately after that interaction, John speaks up about, an, about a conversation, a confrontational conversation they had had with someone that wasn't a part of their immediate group. There was an unnamed disciple that was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Now, just a few observations that are really helpful about this. Number one, we know he was a disciple because Jesus did not rebuke him, but rather defended him. No, if Jesus had been opposed to what he was doing, Jesus would have said to John and the rest, good job for preventing that man from sowing deceitful uh, untruths and for opposing the work of God, but he didn't. Jesus endorsed him. Number two, you can matter to God and you can be used of God even if your name isn't mentioned with inner circle disciples. Well, again, we need to keep driving this point home. Jesus, what, Jesus selected 12 and then out of those 12 he chose three and they all had different levels of access to him that most of the rest did not have. But it didn't mean that he could not use others, and he certainly was using this disciple who wasn't named. And sometimes, side note, we get more concerned with being named than we do lifting up his name. But this disciple here, he wasn't out there saying, man, it's not fair that I get to be a part, that I don't get to be a part of the 12. It's not fair that I'm not a part of those inner three. It's not fair that my name wasn't called with the rest. He's just out there being involved in the work of uh, under the authority of Jesus, lifting up Jesus to people that need him and seeing the name of Jesus change people's lives. He's an unnamed disciple. We still don't know his name, but Jesus does. And it's all good. So, John and his fellow disciples encounter this man, literally, you got to get the visual, helping people with the truth of Jesus. And then he speaks up, hey, we forbade him. Here's what that means. Here's what that means to forbade Stop it. <laughs> These guys are getting a little nervous. Like, what? No, no. Stop. <laughs> stop it, Lily. No, stop it. Man, the other day, Lily came up to me, so encouraging. Reminded me of how old I'm looking with this beard. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Lily, for being used of God to keep me humble. I appreciate it. You know what it is? Stop it. That's what they, no, this guy is helping people with the truth of Jesus. And they come up to him and they say, stop it. Now look, John was the disciple that Jesus loved. He received the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
He was greatly used of God and would be greatly used of God after this. And I'm not in any way berating on the disciples, nor am I tearing them down. But they are consistently in this interaction missing the mark over and over. I don't know what exactly he thought. I'm simply speculating here. Maybe he thought, I'm tired of Peter getting the inside track on me and always speaking up before I do. Maybe he thought, I'm going to impress the Lord with my discernment and my courage to oppose certain people. Maybe he thought perhaps what we did wasn't the right thing to do and so he's just running it by the Lord. I don't know, but whatever he was thinking about that interaction where they had failed to help people with the truth of Jesus and instead had rebuked someone who was helping people with the truth of Jesus, Jesus was not impressed with it. Now, he, as he always was, he was composed and yet very clear in his confrontation and his correction. He doesn't make fun of them. He doesn't berate them. He simply corrects their thinking about this with a simple statement in verse 50. Forbid him not. Now, can you imagine what must have come over them when John says, hey, we rebuke this guy. And you know how it is when you're a part of a little group and you have that one person who always gonna, who's always going to speak up, and they speak up, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You tell them what we did. And then the response is different than what you thought, and you're like, no. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? No, yeah, yeah you tell, oh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Slide over here a little bit. I don't know what they were thinking they were going to receive or they were going to hear, but this certainly wasn't it. Jesus is telling them something that should be obvious. Someone that is not against us is in fact for us. You're forbidding. No, get this. You're forbidding a person from doing the work of Jesus that is actually doing the work of Jesus that just moments ago or a couple of days ago, you weren't able to do. You're fighting the wrong enemy. Now I want to remind you, oh, you don't have to look at it again, but verse 1 of chapter 9. They had been given, these disciples had been given authority to cast out demons, not for their own name's sake, but to lift up the name of Jesus. They had been given the authority and the power to do the work of the gospel, to help people with the truth of who Jesus is. They were not out of line for going and helping and ministering and preaching and confronting the powers of darkness. They had been given that authority. But since their failure to help that young boy and up to this point, they are no longer using their authority to help people with the truth of Jesus. They are rather using their authority to promote themselves. And it started with an argument about who's greater. And now it's continued with, you're not a part of our group, so you obviously can't really be doing the work of God. Here's what's going on. They're doing more to stop people from being helped by Jesus than they are doing to see people helped by Jesus. Churches, I'll give you the statement in a second, and then we'll make some application. Churches do, in fact, have authority from Jesus. I don't, I'm not arrogant about this, but I am confident in it. 
I don't need a king's, president's, parliament's, congress permission to sanction what I preach. You say, well, you haven't actually paid a price for that. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But there are people who have. I do not seek to be licensed. I have the authority of the word of God. I don't need anyone else's authority. I don't seek political permission. I don't seek community justification. There is a higher power that has been and always will be. And it's his truth that we seek to declare. And as a church, we do not need a government's permission to assemble. We were given that responsibility to assemble. No, it can look different ways in different cultures and in different seasons, but we were commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Look, it, listen, assembling together should not be an option for a child of God. It should be a part of who we are because we need one another. We benefit from one another. We encourage one another. We correct one another. We're, we help one another. Can I say it this way? We're better with, each, with having each other in our lives. No, I understand sometimes we mess it up. I understand sometimes we do it wrong. But we need one another. I don't need permission for this. We have authority. We have permission to witness to people. No, we have a command. We have authority from God to be a light and to be a witness to those who need him. Not to be rude, not to be ugly, not to force a conversation that somebody doesn't want to have. I'm not talking about being unkind. We should be gentle men and gentle ladies. We should represent the love and grace of Christ with composure. And if people don't want to talk about it, that's their business. But we should be a light for Christ. And we don't need permission for that. We have authority. I guess they talk about how a pastor has a certain amount of authority within the life of a church. Believers have authority within how they interact with each other and in their homes. But get this, sometimes we get more concerned about who is with us. Sometimes we get more concerned about who is with us than we are who is being helped by him. I just want to give you three statements out of that idea. Some have to do with ministry philosophy that if you're going to be a part of this church, you need to get these things. And some are just going to be, have to do overlap into personal life. Number one, there is a, there is a huge difference between endorsing someone and opposing someone. Let's just be honest, the disciples did not understand what they saw in that unnamed disciple. It's possible that they didn't even know him from that meeting when Jesus sanctioned their ministry. Okay, so not understanding and not endorsing is not the same as opposing someone. Look, I'll oppose teaching in people that misrepresent the truth of Jesus or biblically rooted doctrine or philosophy. I'll say it again. I'm not sorry for this. I will oppose false doctrine. I will oppose false teachers. 
No, there, there are certain things about Jesus Christ and about salvation. You misrepresent them and you ought to be opposed. And someone can say, well, I just don't like doctrine because it divides. Well, then you have a problem with Jesus because Jesus is the one who gave us doctrine. Doctrine is simply the truth about him. We turn it into something that's not, but it is the truth of who he is and how he operates and what we are to think of him and how it's to cause us to interact with each other. And when that is misrepresented, there ought to be opposition. And people can say, well, that's not really kind or compassionate. Actually, it is very kind and compassionate to confront people when they are believing or teaching something that is not the truth. By the way, just because something is called a church doesn't mean they're actually being accurate with the truth of Jesus Christ. Just two simple examples that if you've been here very long, you'll know well. But if you teach that salvation has anything to do with your effort, or you're a part of a church that teaches that salvation has anything to do with your effort apart from faith in Jesus Christ, that is a false doctrine, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at you or mad at somebody else. I simply want people to know the truth of the word of God. And the truth of the Bible is this. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. We're not saved because of what we do. We're saved because we believed in and accepted what he's done. If you teach... Or believe that God selectively decides you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. You are misrepresenting the truth of Jesus Christ. If you teach that receiving the Holy Spirit is something that occurs independently of receiving Jesus Christ. You are teaching false doctrine. Because when you receive Christ, you receive all of God. You receive his spirit in his fullness. You don't get him in fragments. You get him the moment you believe. Listen, I'll call it out all day. But please understand this. Endorsing something is different than opposing something. There are many things that I can't endorse. One, because I don't know enough about them. Or I might have certain disagreements. But just because I don't endorse doesn't mean I have to oppose. Okay, I need you to get it. Just because I don't endorse doesn't mean I have to oppose. Here's a statement that we can make. Are you ready? We are the only church. You know what you're doing when you say that? You're opposing everybody else. No, 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 no. I don't need you to endorse what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean you have to oppose what's going on, especially when you don't understand it. Now, some of you correctly will remember that I've made this statement. What we have here is rare and unique. No, I stand by that. I believe that. But when I say what we have here is rare and unique, that is not the same as saying there are no other good churches in this valley. There are basically no other good churches in Idaho. And nobody loves God and is doing the work of God like we're doing it here. That is arrogant. 
And I don't have, it's not my job. Listen, it's not my job to endorse every other church in this valley. But neither is it licensed for me to oppose every other church in this valley. Far too many churches have built themselves on tearing other churches down. And we won't be that people. No, if we don't have enough good to talk about here, we might as well close up shop. Because if the only good we have to talk about is how we're better than. And no, no, here's what we have that's better. We have a Savior. And he's amazing. And his love is good. And his faithfulness is true. And he'll forgive any sinner. And he'll save you completely. And he can restore and heal and help and give hope. We don't need to be lifting that name up by tearing a bunch of other names down that we don't fully comprehend. Lift him up. Far too many churches have been built on, on opposing each other. Rather than just lifting up Jesus and his truth. Number two. People reaching people with the truth of Jesus are not the enemy. <laughs> no, look, we're going somewhere with this. And you might be bored a little bit. We're going somewhere. It's about... It's about to get very direct here in just a second. I'm just giving you some ministry philosophy, and then I'm going to land this plane right in your pocket. So please hang on. People reaching people with the truth of Jesus are not the enemy. Look, I've shared this with you. I am opinionated. Just, most of you don't need, need reminded of this, but... What's that ridiculous burger chain that's coming from California? <laughs> Don't tell that, bro. You live in Idaho, homie. <laughs> man, what what is that play? Oh, they put they they put the man. I seriously can't remember right now. I make fun of it all. That in and out. That's right. It's in and it's out. It's not even worth remembering. <laughs> oh, look, look, look! I got opinions for days. I'll make up opinions just to get into a heated discussion. I think it's fun sometimes. I mean, I'll say something that I don't even necessarily believe or have any convictions about if I see that it's going to make you twitch a little bit. Not when I'm preaching a lot. <laughs> I, got, I got opinions. You do realize that you and I don't have to agree on everything? Oh, no, no, no. We have lost the ability to have differences of opinions as children of God. We have become, we, we mandate conforming exactly on every single issue. No, I'm fine with having opinions. I'm fine with having conviction. I'm even fine with people being a little tighter or a little looser as long as they are doing it within the spirit of following Jesus Christ with consideration for how it's affecting one another. You don't have to agree on every standard. You don't have to agree on every philosophical issue of music. You don't have to agree on every philosophy of ministry. But if you're preaching the truth of the gospel, you are taking Jesus to a lost world, representing the truth of who he is. You're not my enemy. Now, please get it. You're not my enemy. There, there is a godless world who is laying waste to people's lives. There is a devil who is deceiving and leading millions of people to eternal destruction. There are powers that are working to use governments to oppress rather than to lift up. I have plenty to fight against. Not people 
who might differ on some issues, but are still lifting up the truth of Jesus Christ. Oh man, you lifting up the gospel as it actually is. No, look, I'm not talking about people who say the gospel, then attach works or baptism, or you can lose it, or whatever else you want to to it. No, I'm talking about people just preaching the truth. You're a sinner, he's the savior, he wants a relationship with you, believe in him, and you have eternal life. You're preaching that message, you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. I don't, I don't have to be on board with everything that someone does in order to not be their enemy. Just because they aren't with you doesn't mean they aren't being used by him. When you treat people that aren't the enemy as though they are, you end up hurting yourself and the greater cause of the gospel. Last thing, and this is where I'm going to make very, very direct application to us. It's been made to me in my own heart. I'm going to defend this church a little bit. Not def- I'm not defensive about this. But I'm not ashamed of it either. Sometimes we oppose others because they are effectively doing what we are not. Look at these disciples. We have his authority. We don't, we don't know how to help you. No, Jesus told them why they couldn't help him. It's because of your faith. You either believe that he was too messed up or that I'm not great enough. Whatever it was, it's not about your salvation. You just, you lacked faith and, you, and we learn in other places you didn't seek me in prayer like you needed to. Jesus told them why. Then they look over at this guy who isn't even named. He, he's some other dude, but he's preaching the truth of Jesus. And man, people are getting healed. Now, you can, you can argue with this if you want. I just know this to be a human tendency, is that sometimes we become the most critical to people who are doing things better than us that we know we should be doing. Okay, I've, I've had people come to me. I'm not, I am not mad. In fact, I'm reining it way in just so you can try to be convinced in your mind. I'm not mad about this. I don't lose sleep about this. People come to me and say, well, I've heard this about West Valley. And so here's, my, here's an honest question. Well, who did you hear that from? Okay, hang on. If you're going to come tell me you heard something about me or about this church, it's okay for me to ask where you heard that from. Because most of the time what's being said about us isn't even remotely true. No, did, did you talk to any of our staff? Did, did, you, did you talk to any of our leadership? Did you come to the services? Did you set up an appointment with me? Did you, did you do anything to find this out before you just, well, I heard it from somebody? No, that's a fair question. I'm not mad. Well, I, I heard this. Okay, sometimes you know what I think? Criticism comes because people are trying to hold on to things. Look, I'm not being mean-spirited about this, and I'm about to move to the more personal side of this. Sometimes we get critical about what other people are doing because they're handling things in a better way, and it bothers us. Have you ever, let me ask you a question. I, I, am, I, am, not, I am not mad about this. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen anyone at work be promoted, not because of the job that they did, but because they were successful at making their counterpart look bad? You ever seen that happen? You know, sometimes we become so focused on others because we know in our hearts we're not doing everything that we ought to be doing. I told you I would land the plane. So here it is. Husband, sometimes you get so critical of your wife because in your heart you see the evidence that she has a deeper walk with God than you do. Wives, sometimes the reason you're constantly complaining about and criticizing your husband, look, it's not about perfection. You're like, well, my husband's not perfect. I don't know if you're expecting one under a tree. That is, it's not happening. No, no, sometimes wives are so critical of their husbands because then in their hearts they know they have flaws. And they're trying to hide from them. I'm amazed at how rebellious teens can be. And look, I'm not accusing you. I'm just telling you you're susceptible to this. You, I hope you know I love you. But I'm amazed at how rebellious teens can be, and we can latch on to some imperfection. But the truth is we latch on to it with such ferocity because we know our attitude isn't what it's supposed to be. We're just trying to compensate. Can I just be honest with you? If the only thing we have going for us at West Valley is to talk about how we're better than everybody else, we don't have very much going at West Valley. If you can read this Bible and the only thing that you can come away with is, man, I'm, I, I, I'm better than them. You're not actually reading the Bible the way that it's meant to be read. If you don't have anything to preach about, pastor or teacher, other than, man, this, this is what makes us better. You don't have very much to teach about. No, we do have something that's better. But it's not us better than anybody else. It's Jesus and he's wonderful. Amen. Sometimes you look, at a, you look at people that are teaching the Sunday school class, and I know, they, just, they just think they're, what, no, no, let me ask, what do they think? And you came to that conclusion, how? Oh yeah, a pastor gets up there and he talks about Miss Bev. I bet Miss Bev is just, every note she plays, she's just thinking, yep, I, pastor loves to hear me sing. No, they, they, they laugh at it. I'm fine with you laughing at it. But that's how ridiculous it gets. Why are you jealous? No, is this a fair question based on this text? They're not, they're not against us. It doesn't mean we agree on everything, but they're not against us. It doesn't even mean that I would attend there or I would do things that way. But just because I would not do things that way doesn't mean they're my enemy. And man, if we can't learn, you say, what am I primarily concerned about? I, I, listen, I don't lose any sleep over what other groups think about us in this community. Especially when it's not based on truth or fact. 
I'm not losing any sleep over that. Do I know? Have I been at this long enough to know that people are going to be mad, that accusations are going to come, that people are going to make claims that are not based in any truth? Absolutely. The same thing was done to Jesus, and Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to suffer persecution. I'm fine with that. That's not what I'm talking about. My greater concern is that within this family, I was looking at the bulletin again. I don't know where it went, but it says West Valley family. That's not an accident. That's what we're trying to be. But within a family, we can become so critical of each other. And oftentimes, it's because in truth, we don't want to admit it. They're doing something that we ought to be doing. And we just don't like the conviction. And so here's what we do. Find ways to tear them down. That pastor thinks he's the only one that knows anything about parenting. No, no. When have you heard me say that? Godly kids were being raised long before my voice came into existence. And godly parenting will be going on way longer than my voice is in existence. Try to learn some things and share some things. If I become critical because of how God is using somebody else, maybe it's an indictment on me. No, this is fun. Okay, maybe not. It is helpful. No, you no, no, look, look, I look, I, I mean this sincerely. I just I had to come around the tree so I could see you. Sorry. Look, look, look. If his look okay, so he's a part of the leadership team here. Trust me, I know his spirit. If I didn't want him to wear that suit, he wouldn't wear that suit. Okay. Do I think we should all be wearing red suits and green suits and look like candy canes and peppermints up here? No, no, that, but that's not the point. And here, but here's what can happen. Man, I know why he's wearing that red suit. He's just always trying. No, what do you actually know about Brother Fiavai? No, I'm not saying that you have to like his red suit. I'm not even saying that you have to wear his red suit. But what do you actually know about him? To come to conclusions about whether or not God is using him or not using him. I'm just telling you, sometimes we become the most critical. Because we see in others what we should be seeing in ourselves. And we're not. And so we just start tearing down. We get more concerned about who is with us. Than we are who is being helped by him. We have church. <laughs> we have, we, I'm done. We have an awesome savior. No, look, look. He's amazing. Man, he's saving people. He's helping people. He's changing people. It is a slow, difficult, arduous process. And the labor can be challenging. And there, man, is there going to be friendly fire? Absolutely. But I, I read this in that story. The man who was involved in that helicopter, in that Apache, he went on. He was so motivated by what happened. He went on as soon as he was out of the military to begin to develop technology that would help prevent those kinds of things. But like our government has done with things so often that can actually be helpful on the ground level, they've resisted and refused. You say, well, I don't know of any examples like that. You know, just, I'll send you some links. I don't know what else to do. Here's my point. 
so much could be avoided. Look, look, I'm not interested. I, I'll preach the truth of Jesus. But we don't need to build this up by tearing anything else down. Let's just lift up Jesus. We'll oppose what is false. But we need to lift up Jesus. So is it possible in your life that you are critical in areas because you see somebody doing something better than what you know you should be doing it at? Is it possible this morning you got some attitude with some people and at the root of it, they're actually just where I ought to be. And it bothers me that I'm not. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Just that simple question. Every head bowed, pleased, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Some already coming to the altar. I just I want to ask you to be honest about this question. Are there areas in your family? Are there areas in your church life? Are there areas at work? Are there areas in your attitude and spirit? Maybe not even that you verbalize, but you see, you see things being done in a way that you know you ought to be doing them. And what motivates your critical spirit is that you're not doing the things that you ought to be doing. And so rather than learning from, rather than being motivated by, rather than, rather than just continuing to strive to follow Jesus and improve, you try to, you try to tear down. Because it, it's not happening for me. I didn't, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather tear somebody else down than deal with my own guilt. We become critical because we're not fulfilling what Christ has enabled us to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would there be anyone who'd raise their hand before the Lord and say, yeah, I've developed some critical spirit towards people. And at the root of it, it really seems like I've just, if I'm just being honest, I'm jealous. I see things that are done better than what I know I ought to be doing. People that are more excited about God. People that are seem to be more into truth or however you want to describe it. Now, I'm just, I'm critical because I know I'm not where I need to be. Would there be anybody that would raise their hand and say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, I see him. Yeah, God bless you for your honesty. Let's stand. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, respond to him this morning.